As people, as human beings, we grapple with our identities throughout our lives. Despite being from places, being attached to people, and being connected to things, how we view ourselves and what we aspire to be can be subject to change and interpretation. For some of us, who we are is forged during tough circumstances, and these tough moments solidify our view of ourselves. With these moments defining our roles in our relationships, families, and our communities. Many of us would like to believe that we would be there for somebody, we would be there for somebody when their life is in jeopardy. But how many of us are really ready to save a life at a moment's notice? In this short episode of the Brain Drain Podcast, I tell the tale of such a moment in my life on a foggy day in the city of San Francisco in 2010, when I saved a naked dude's life. And you might be asking right now, Connor, where were you at where you could save a naked dude's life? I mean, this story does take place in the city of San Francisco and for a lot of people, especially people from outside of San Francisco, I'm sure in their minds, they think that there's just naked dudes walking around the city all the time. And I can say that maybe not all the time, uh, but you're not necessarily wrong either. I was at a place where you're supposed to wear clothes and I was wearing clothes myself at the time that this incident happened. More specifically, I was at the gym. And during this period of my life, in my late 20s, I haven't really spoken on this period very much. Uh, I haven't gotten to that point yet, you know, just in the channel's history. But at this time, in the early 2010s, I was very into fitness. And this comes after going pretty much the entire decade before that, being very not into fitness, specifically in my early 20s. Like my blood pressure, it was always really high. I was always kind of stressing. Um, and some days I would wake up in the morning and I would eat ice cream on top of my cereal for breakfast. And on my way home from work, I would go hit El Faralito. I cop two burritos and eat both of them, usually like super late nights. So like one o'clock, two o'clock, three in the morning. By one, I might be, you know, finishing the first burrito. Uh, I was living like that. And as I discussed in my episode about taking mushrooms the stupid way, I was also dealing with panic attacks. And prior to my first workout in years, I experienced a reoccurring panic attack that lasted over two weeks. Just jumping on an exercise bike for a couple of minutes, jumping on riding it for a couple of minutes, that brought me a lot of calm. After two weeks of panic attacks, of just having one, waking up, having one, that ending, not even knowing it's happening, and then another one happening after, just whole day panic attacks. This brought me some peace, and I was hooked. And I stayed hooked on working out and going to the gym uh, until about a year later when I was hit by a car. When I got hit, I had a uh, I had a Prius back into me, and it cracked my right kneecap. And about seven months later, I had my left foot uh, ran over by a different car. After getting hit by a car and then ran over by a different car, it made it kind of difficult to run, especially and to lift as well. But prior to that point, I was going to the gym maybe five days a week, sometimes six days a week. I was doing about 45 minutes to 50 minutes cardio a day. I would lift, which was even counterproductive, but I was so sucked into the process. I just wanted to go. And some days on top of doing my cardio, doing my lifting, heavy lifting at that point, I would box maybe five or six rounds by myself as well. Just in general, I felt very strong. I felt very together. And my strength was tested on this day. I was at the gym, I was at the gym I always went to, I'm not gonna say their name, but I was at that gym. I was talking to somebody that I was cool with when I saw just a um, older person run out, a little shorter guy, maybe 5'1", five, 5'2", five, um, no shirt on, wrapped up in a towel. And the first thing that I saw was a giant eagle that was tattooed across his chest. He spoke Russian and he was from the former Soviet Union. And for people his age, 
the only place one would get a tattoo like this was either in prison, or possibly more accurately in his case, the military. I had seen the guy a bunch of times before, and despite, you know, he was older, you know, he was on the smaller side, especially here in the States. Maybe not so much where he's from, but here in the States, he would be maybe eight or nine inches shorter than the average height male. Uh, but I always saw him with a very serious demeanor, always kind of just about his business, about his business in the gym. And like I said, this guy's in his 70s. When he came out, he was even more so serious than I usually saw him. And he said that somebody needed help in the sauna. And even before I could just process what he said, I was in the sauna already. I saw a guy there just sitting. He looked to be in his late 60s. He was sitting on the bench, the bottom bench of the sauna and he was completely passed out. His head was all the way back like this. And he was snoring very loud and he had a very long trail of drool hanging out of his mouth while his lips were kind of like, like fluttering almost like a horse. My boy was also straight up, he was butt naked. And like the dude that had run out and asked us to come over and check him out, this guy was also, you know, on the shorter side, he was maybe five foot two, five foot three. However, unlike the guy that came out for help who had, you know, trim build, just kind of a smaller guy, but in shape, this guy was maybe like 250 or 260 pounds. And I, I got this impression because I tried to pick the dude up. I tried to, you know, just like almost like double underhooks and lift him. And he was just too damn heavy for me to just pick up. I was in the best shape of my life at this time. And for the life of me, I could not get this dude to move and I couldn't get him to wake up either. I was trying to shake him a little bit, just something to get him to stand up on his own. And he just continued to snore. Like he was completely covered in sweat. He was drenched, like sweat was dripping off him. The drool was just getting longer. It was all bad. Then I realized I wasn't alone there in the sauna, nor was I alone there in the locker room. 10 or 15 people in there, some of them who were also elderly, but a lot of whom were just, you know, within range of my age. They were just standing there, just completely frozen. I didn't have time to think about them, though. I needed to do something. After I tried, you know, I gave up on wrestling with the guy, tussling with the guy. After I did that, I just ran back into the lobby and told them, hey, what's up? Call 911. Call an ambulance. After the person that was working there put in the call to 911, I saw a friend of mine that was there named Yvonne, and I told him what was going on. And just like I had, as soon as he heard what was going on, he just ran straight into the sauna. It took all of our strength, both of us, like both of us just kind of grabbing a side and picking an arm and lifting this dude up. It took all of our strength just to lift him up and move him a couple of feet. As I was doing this, mind you, this guy's butt naked, I could feel his ball sack on my leg. And it was just planted, just like, here's my leg just like resting right on there. and. I'm not gonna lie to you, I wanted to drop him and just say, hey, I'm gonna be another one of these dudes just standing around doing nothing. But I couldn't do that. So we continued to take him out of there and we put him on the ground. And you know, we, we didn't even have time to think about what to do next. I just put him in a recovery position. Once we had him secured on the ground, once he was in the recovery position, once his airway was clear and he was breathing, he still wasn't awake. We just waited for the paramedics to show up. There was pretty much nothing else we could do aside from keep anybody from interfering. But like I said, nobody was moving muscle. With this thing going on, I'm not even thinking about anything. I'm not thinking about them. I'm not thinking about myself. I'm not thinking about what situation I'm putting myself in. Nothing, I'm just thinking about action. Namely, we need to get this dude, this butt naked dude, out of the sauna and just out of harm's way. Once the paramedic showed up, the man began barfing. 
And when he did, everything kind of became clear in my mind. Had he stayed in the sauna with his head back like that, he would have choked on his own vomit. After taking him out of the sauna and putting him in the recovery position, you know, clearing his airway, had I not done that, he would have choked on his vomit as well. And though survivable, choking on one's vomit has killed before, and has even killed the rich, famous, and talented, like Jimi Hendrix. With the onset of this barf, I realized we saved his life. After everything had happened, I really didn't feel like working out. I felt like just getting the hell out of there. And I went upstairs just in time to see the man being wheeled out. And as he passed by a bench, I saw an older woman just jump up and start freaking out. She was screaming in Farsi, uh, which I personally don't speak, but I was standing right next to somebody who spoke it. When I said, damn, I didn't know that his wife was here with him. The guy that spoke Farsi informed me that it wasn't his wife, it was in fact his 96-year-old mother that was there in the lobby. This, this kind of shook me up as well, and I was committed to getting the hell out of there. And um, this sealed my commitment. I got the hell out of there as soon as I could afterwards. The whole thing just kind of shook me up. And going back to the gym afterwards, seeing some of the same people that uh, worked with me through the crisis, they kind of acted like nothing ever happened. And I questioned this reasoning a little bit as well. And just thinking about the incident, I thought, you know, isn't there something to talk about here? Isn't there some kind of tale to tell about this story? I mean, when you think about it, it's a very feel-good story about two friends saving a naked man's life and preventing his very elderly mother from suffering further heartbreak. I wasn't even looking for props. Yvonne wasn't looking for props either. But I just thought, you know, something of this magnitude, something to say, hey, our, even our members of our gym uh, save people's lives. Isn't there something to talk about here? And perhaps, but perhaps not as well. What I can say is that personally, I like to look to other countries, other peoples, and other cultures and see what they do in similar situations and see what that can say about my own. And when this incident happened, it kind of made me think about something that I learned about the Mongols during the ascent of Genghis Khan and during the ascent of their empire. Within Mongol culture during that time and possibly even to this day, there is the concept of the Batar. This word is translated possibly from Turkish or into Turkish as Batur and into Farsi as Bahadur and essentially means hero. But this concept of the Batar is more than just simply being a hero. A Batar is somebody that takes action in a moment, in a moment of crisis, and they take decisive action without hesitation. The Mongols honored people with the title Batar, and people with this title, including Subutai, the commander who conquered the most land in human history, and Batars were held in high standing in society. And despite most of the world treating women like slaves who were confined to the stove during this time, in Mongol society during the 1200s, women could earn this title too. And we know from historical records from the Mongols that a woman named Altani earned this title of Batar. Altani was the daughter of Genghis Khan, and she earned the title of Batar when she caught a man sneaking into their tent to kidnap her brother Tului. She then wrestled this man down herself and held him in place until other guards could come and kill him, earning her the title of Batar in the process. In giving Altani this title, the Mongols were holding her to the same heroic standard basically saying that she was on the same heroic level as the man, the commander, who conquered more land than anybody else in human history. They considered her on that level. Given where they lived, namely the Mongolian plain, 
which is a flat, grassy land largely unfit for farming, but great for raising horses and raiding your neighbors. The Mongols needed all hands on deck. This is seen in other nomadic empires, especially when the graves of warriors are dug up, and women wearing battle armor are found with their horses and weapons buried with them. Even that, the constant threat of death on the steppe was present. Just facing death was respected, but overcoming death? That was to be celebrated. And despite the movies, the TV shows, the video games, the music, all these things that celebrate death and killing, as a society, as Americans, we kind of get freaked out by death and dying. And we get even more so freaked out when that situation is unfolding right in front of us, right in front of our eyes, and we're potentially seeing someone take their last breath. And just in doing my own studying and doing my own trying to understand this phenomenon of people just kind of standing there and watching somebody die, I've come to find that people doing that, just standing there, frozen in fear, that is the most normal thing that they could do. That is the absolute most normal reaction for people. It's just to stand there and stare, frozen. Ultimately, it's what people do most times out of nod, even if it's not necessarily what they should do in the moment. And some people might even want to do something. And they might be scared of doing something because they might be scared of doing the wrong thing. And they might choose instead to just do nothing at all. And I can say that with this reality, with this understanding, with knowing this about yourself, learning this about yourself, with one's ego in play now, with one's own feelings about wanting to do something in that moment and being unable to do so. I think shooting somebody some props for doing so, it might be kind of hard to do, who knows? I just know what type of person I am. I know that when the chips are down and lives are at stake, I'm all in. Possibly there's, there's things that I could do to feel worse, but standing by and just watching somebody die would make me feel absolutely horrible. I just wouldn't be able to do so. And possibly more than anything else, more than just sitting and watching this person die, watching their 96-year-old mother freak out afterwards would crush me. It's just who I am. But what kind of person are you?